This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. Hello, and welcome to The Speech Link, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Shara Beauchart, speech-language pathologist, and I invite you to join us as we share practical strategies to take your therapy to the next level. We'll talk with experienced experts who have achieved extraordinary results and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. We're talking about routines today, and what you're going to learn goes way beyond simple organization. You're going to learn ideas about making the best use of your therapy time and details about routines that you've never even thought about. So, for example, how to create a routine on purpose, deliberately, and then how to stick with it. Or maybe you feel you just don't have the time to create a routine. We'll address that too. Now I ask you, are establishing routines really that beneficial? I think they are. Let's get into it. She's an Ivy League graduate, earning her master's degree in speech-language pathology in the year 2000 from the University of Rhode Island. This fall of 2018, Cherie will begin her doctorate program in clinical sciences and speech pathology. Now, since graduation, she has worked in the schools in Portland, Oregon, as well as in the clinical setting, hospitals, and private practice. She's a national presenter and has taught students around the world with her online courses. She's a prolific writer and has one of the first and longest running speech therapy blogs called Superpower Speech. You can access her practical information at superpowerspeech.com. Among her numerous awards for her blog, this year she was awarded the Top 75 Speech Therapy Blogs and the Speech and Language Pathology News Magazine awarded her as being among the 100 best SLPs who are impacting the field. Quite an honor. Personally, she says in her free time, and I love this, she plays soccer with her two teens and enjoys reading three books at the same time in front of the fire while crocheting. She's a very talented lady in more ways than one. Welcome to the Speech Link, Cherie. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so glad yes, to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here too. So today we're talking about routines and how to use routines to maximize our time, especially as school therapists, SLPs, and to increase the effectiveness with our kids. But to begin, I'd like to know, how did you get interested in studying routines? 
gosh, it was probably five years ago. And I started reading some of those kind of self-help books where they talk about, you know, become more efficient and effective in your life when you have, you know, daily habits. And, and then I just started reading more and more of these books that talked about all the benefits of having these habits and which would develop into routines um, as just a really kind of efficient way to start your day or later as I developed the idea into making, you know, your work life that much easier because you don't have to think very hard about what to do next. It's just part of the routine and it's part of the daily habit. So it was something very personal with you. Yeah, I think it really did start with the whole morning routine. (sighs) Okay. I love it. I'm trying to think, how would you define routine? Well, I looked up a definition because, you know, coming up with them on my own is not the the easiest for me. So dictionary.com had several different definitions, but I thought the one that related most to this particular type of routine is a regular um, or habitual procedure. Um, So that would be something that you do in series every day or every week or whatever it is your routine is going to be for. So the example that I really think of is the way I started all this was my morning routine. So what I do in the morning is I get up and, you know, I brush my teeth and I, you know, put my hair in a ponytail and I put my contacts in and then I come and I make my coffee and then I sit down. And then that's just the beginning of the routine because from there I go through all these different things in my journal and, you know, my reading portion of my journal and my, what am I going to do today? And what do I want to accomplish today? And, and all of that. And then after all that, I go downstairs and I exercise and it's become such a habitual part of my life that even though I happen to be on summer break right now, I'm still waking up early to complete this routine every day because without it at this point, I feel like something's missing from my day. So that's what I would say a routine is in any circumstance is something that has just become so much a part of your life and so much a habit that um, your day doesn't feel quite complete or that period of time doesn't feel quite good for you. You know, and and you have some really good lifestyle and and you I bet you have great self-control when it comes to eating and exercising. No, not when it comes to eating. But when it comes to yes, exercise, okay. yes. <laughs> good, good. But I, I love sweets too much to have good self-control yes, when it comes yes, to eating. Yes, me too. Me too. Me too. Um, how does this compare with schedule? So... I guess I would say a schedule is a series of events that can be changed at any point um, and that you need often need to reference in order to remember what's coming next or what you need to do to prepare for it. So, for example, like during the school day, I have a schedule which varies every single day. I can't remember which students I'm going to see when and I have to reference. I'd have a not a great memory. So I have to reference every half hour who's coming next and what am I going to do with them? Um, So yeah, my schedule is something I need to reference on a regular basis. And if I think about some of my special ed classrooms I go into, you know, they've got their visual schedule on the board, but it can be moved around on if there's an assembly one day, you just move out one thing and put assembly right in there. And so it just gives you an idea of what's coming next, but it doesn't tell you exactly what you're going to need to do do or or maybe I should say it doesn't 
make it habitual or something that you can just kind of go through the procedure. Okay, so a schedule it has more of a timeline to it. That's how I see and it. Yeah. A routine is more of a fixed program or um, sequence of actions. It's like a flow of actions. <laughs> I'm, I'm always thinking of like a yoga routine where, you know, you go into this pose and then this pose and then this pose and it just kind of flows okay. together is more of a now routine. We will get into this, you know, as far as specific routines in a little while. Can you just give me an example of a routine of a school speech language pathologist? Okay, so one of the best routines I've ever um, developed is um, something that I came up with a year or two ago, and that was my routine for picking up students. Um, my philosophy is that my teachers that I work with already have so many things on their mind. I don't want them to have to remember that Johnny comes to speech at 1150 every other Tuesday for half an hour. It's just too much information for these poor teachers. Um, so I pick up 90% of my students. I walk to their room to pick them up, which isn't the most time efficient as I very well know. However, what the routine is I've developed from there is to make it a routine on how we go back to the classroom together to make use of that time. So I will go, I will go down with like a little visual sign so that hopefully I don't have to even say anything when I get in the room. I just kind of hold up my sign that says that it's speech time. And then the, the teacher sees it and the kids see and they come out with me quietly. And then we use that time in the hall to um, have a discussion. Often it is a discussion around um, a picture visual, some kind of like photograph that I have that I want the kids to be talking about. What do they see? What do they notice? What kind of questions can they come up with by looking at this picture? And so that's kind of our walk down the hall routine, which has really been very um, good in terms of being time efficient and so that we don't lose that five minute of walkway time every great. day. That's a great example. Let's jump into this. Now, I know classroom teachers have routines or at least, you know, a schedule. Um, so I know that they do. Um, I know that that speech language pathologists have a schedule. And we're talking about fitting some beneficial routines for the therapist and for the children. Let's talk about the benefits of doing routines for the right. therapist and then also for the children. The benefit. Okay. So benefit for the therapist, I'll start with, um, and that is that it frees up so much of your brain space. Um, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing how limited, you know, room I have for extra things to think about every day and every half hour. And by having a routine and knowing what we're going to do first, next, then and last, I don't have to you know, consciously think of every single little step. And in addition, because it's a routine and because most of the students get to know what the routine is, I can actually spend that first couple minutes and the last couple minutes of therapy time putting um, notes into the my data forms, which I wouldn't be able to do if I were concentrating so heavily on what the kids were doing every single second. 
I've noticed when I have student interns that they they just can't they don't have that routine yet. And so they can't put that information into the data forms and they have to spend time after therapy or after the school day ends adding in all that extra information because they didn't have that, you know, cleared up brain space. Um, so that is awesome for the therapist. Um, it also is, I found to be really great for the therapist um, in terms of giving us or giving myself um a little bit less to, to lesson plan. So I always have what we're going to be working on that day. And that is part of my routines as I come up with lesson plans in advance. But um, I know that the kids are going to be working on their routine things, which might be something like um, saying what their goal is for the day or you know, reviewing what we did that day. And so I don't have to lesson plan that portion of the sessions. For students, I feel like it gives a huge amount of comfort to the kids that they know what's coming and what to expect. Um, and there have been a number of studies that have shown that as well, that routines reduce um, kind of the 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 angst of being like, what are we going to do now? And how do I do this? And they just kind of get into the flow of this is what I do when I come here. This is how I do it, especially if it's a routine that they enjoy or at the very least don't mind um, because it's just it's less scary. And since so many of our kids do have some emotional components to their disability, I think it provides them with um, just a, a nice feeling of Great. comfort. OK, so benefits for the therapist, benefits for our kids kids having routines and that for our kids I, I can really see we're having um, that anticipation where they they have a sense of your expectations and that there's familiarity there. Also, I know with many of my kids that that repetition is very important for them. And, uh, you know, I'm going to say, especially for language kids and for articulation kids, they know what you're going to expect from them. And uh, well, let, let's get into a session. When I did routines, all the kids knew that among the first few minutes, we were going to talk about the speech work or the language homework that they did. They just knew and part of that expectation went into their follow-up of actually doing the homework. Because kids, it's really difficult for kids to remember to do or to follow through or to fit it into their routines at home. Mm -hmm. They knew that, that there was an expectation there and that everybody was going to be talking about it. And they were going to get to, oh, we had something, a little, a little bank thing that we did and they get so many points and blah, blah, blah. Okay. If everybody did it, but that one child, there was peer pressure there for that one child to do it. So there was a level of expectation and consistency. And that's how we always started off our therapy session. Is that kind of what you have done? Well, we haven't done it with homework because uh, the population I work with, even though I do assign homework, um, very, very rarely does the homework. So we we don't spend a lot of time going over any homework, but we have done it on the opposite end where I do spend some time 
talking about what I would like them to practice and assigning them homework at the end of the session. So uh, that is one of the routines that we uh, work on. Well, we've been working on for years. Sounds good. Okay, let's get back to and I want to come back, you know, and talk about some specifics. But let's talk about how you actually do this. When you were thinking about adding routines to your therapy day, did you sit down and deliberately think, okay, I can add a routine when I'm going to get the kids? I can add a routine. What? How did you come up with this? You know, I think it was pretty deliberate was I was thinking about it. It started with my end of the therapy time routine where it, like you, we had a re- we have a reinforcement system. In my case, it's we give um, speech money um, in order to earn a party. And so the routine was the last like minute of therapy was going through, did they follow the behavioral expectations and assigning them their group money, depending on if they followed the be safe, respectful and responsible rules. And the kids got so into that routine that they always are still like, we didn't do the speech money. What? Where's the speech money? And they'll make me go back to the room sometimes after we've left so that we can go do that routine. Of course, it is something that is highly motivating for them because they want this speech money in order to earn a party. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that definitely helps. Um, But I, that was probably the first routine I ever really, you know, pinpointed it and did on purpose because I wanted there to be a nice kind of ending and closure to our time together. Um, Could I clarify? This is something that you do with the group. So if you have three or four kids there, whatever size group, the group has to comply in order to get the points, right? Right. That's correct. So everyone okay. in the group has to be safe. And then the team earns one dollar. Oh, yeah. Everybody in the group has to be responsible and the team earns another dollar. Everybody in the group has to be you know, respectful and the team earns another dollar. Now, sometimes I do come up with exceptions to that. I had this one group this year where one of the kids just went out of her way to make trouble and it wasn't fair to the other kids because they were losing out on all their speech money every single session. So I had to come up with some kind of alternative strategies for, for that particular group. But in general, it works for 90, 95% of the groups where they're motivated to help the group out and earn all that money. And you know, they're really honest about it too. Like if one kid isn't being safe, like that kid will fess up and be like, no, I really wasn't being safe. And the rest of the team is kind of like, yeah, that's true. He wasn't really being safe today um, without being too hard on that one kid because that would I'd feel terrible if they were giving that kid you know a bad time okay so it's deliberate at the beginning of the session I'm going to do this at the end of the session I'm going to wrap it up like this okay now do you create in your therapy a sequence a routine of your therapy you know it depends on what type of therapy I'm doing Um, so I have, um, these social skills groups. We've been, my, uh, resource room teacher and myself have been doing social skills groups for, I don't know, somewhere between five and 10 years. And we have a routine. The whole thing is a routine. So what they do is they come into the room and then they, um, decide what energy level they're at, um, using the zones of regulation. So, you know, do they have too much energy, not enough energy kind of, where are they, where do they feel their body? And then they sit down and then we all go around and we talk about what energy level we're at and why. And then we do a small group discussion where we're 
working on taking turns, initiating comments and initiating questions. And then we do like our one activity for the day. And then those groups usually earn some kind of free time or play time at the end. And it's all very methodical and they know exactly what to expect. Um, so the whole thing is like that. Whereas on the other hand, um, I have a lot of language groups that we don't follow routine throughout the whole thing because what we do varies so much from session to session. So we'll have our routine at the beginning when we're walking down the hall and then we'll have a little bit of a routine when we start the session and then we'll go and then I'll have to explain, okay, here's what we're doing today. And they'll be like, oh, I know this or, oh, this is different. And then it's kind of on its own until the end when we do our wrap up routine. So, you know, yeah, it, it, does depend. Um, and also with some of my life skills students, we do, um, work systems where they have to go through like three or four different boxes to get to the end. So their routine is they finish a box, it's done, then they start the next box and we go through three or four of those. Um, and that is extremely intentional because those are my students who need that routine and need to know they need to be able to see the beginning point and the end point of when we're going to be done with therapy. You know what, could we go back? I really am not familiar with that term, zones of regulation. Is that what you used? Yes. That's the term I use. Is that something that I need to know? <laughs> Probably. I mean, you explain this to the kids and then they determine that for themselves. And what are the zones? So the zones, it's, um, I, I'm embarrassed to say I've forgotten the OT who's developed it. Um, but she now works under Michelle Garcia winner. She's in that whole social thinking group and, um, it's an OT, but, uh, you know, when I went to the training, I went with my school psychs and my OTs and some speech paths. So, and I think there might've even been one or two special educators there too. So it, you know, it fits for so many different people, not just kids. Um, and I tell it to the kids like it's an energy level. So if you're in the green zone, that means like you're good, you're ready to learn, your body's in a good place, your body and brain are in a good place. Um, if you're in the blue zone, it means that you've got some low energy. So it might be that you're really tired. It could be that you're sick. Sometimes we're sad when we're in the blue zone. But you have to be careful with the sad one because other times you could be in the yellow zone, which is too much energy when you're sad. So it really is kind of how is your motor running the type of um, idea. Yellow could be you're feeling hyper. Um, it could be you're feeling sad and have too much energy. It could be you're getting angry. Um, it could be you're, you know, just kind of anxious. The kids that are spinning around on their chairs all the time are generally in the yellow zone. Um, and then finally, there's a red zone, which is to the way I describe it to my students is kind of the out of control zone. This is the zone where I need to be calling for backup or the principal at that point because they're not being safe with themselves or others. So in general, if sometimes kids will be like, I'm in the red zone. And I'm like, no, you're not because you're still in my room. You're clearly not in the red zone because I wouldn't allow you in here if you were in the red zone right now. Um, but you have kids that are just always in the yellow zone uh, because, you know, maybe they have hyperactivity or they're just 
their, their brains are just going so fast. And then you have other kids that are just kind of lethargic and they're always in the blue zone. So I want the kids to be thinking about where are they right now? And then we even talk about, is there anything we could do to get ourselves into the green zone? And sometimes there is, and sometimes there's not, you know, it just depends on what's going on with their day and their chemistry. I love that. Okay. I have Googled it and it is called zonesofregulation.com and it's by Leah K-U-Y-P-E-R-S. <laughs> I don't know how you say that. I don't remember, but it's a fabulous training. Good to know. I like that sort of self-reflection. Look at how I feel and how my behavior is being manifested. And then um, I want to talk about that kind of thing so that they can express it. And there's sort of an acknowledgement of their behavior at that moment in time. And so many of our kids just don't do that. And, you know, I was going to say a lot of my kids, they don't really understand it right now. You know, even some of my fourth and fifth graders are like, oh, I'm in the green zone. And I look at them and I'm like, you are clearly not in the green zone. But uh, because my middle school and high school speech has also used the zones, I know that they're at least getting the language for it right now. And so hopefully eventually it will start to kind of click and then they can start making um, decisions on what they're going to do for themselves to help themselves as they better realize what's going on in their body and brain. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that is a really good thing to add to the therapy routine for some kids, especially some of my language kids, especially the kids that are bouncing off the walls. That's really, really good. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right now I really only use it for my social skills groups, but my social skills groups, that's like 10 of my kids. So, you know, it it still is a good number of kids. Excellent. Okay. That's a good one. How, okay. You have some SLPs. I'm going to say that just do routines and don't even think about it. Okay. They may not have even labeled what they do as a routine. And I bet there's some people that are thinking about it now going, yeah, I do routines and I didn't even realize I was doing routines. And then there's other people that say, you know, I don't have time to add a routine or to think about creating a routine and then sticking with it. What do you say to someone that says, I just don't have the time, quotes, to create a routine? What's what's holding them back and what can you do to help them? Well, so it does take some mental energy if you want to conscientiously, you know, or consciously come up with a routine. To me, a really good routine, you got to think about, you got to plan, you got to write it down and it usually doesn't work the first couple times and you got to reflect and kind of change things around. That said, you're only putting in five minutes at a time, most of the time, but it means five minutes of of actual brain space and thinking that I know a lot of school-based SLPs don't feel like they have that even that five minutes to kind of contemplate, Oh, what could I brainstorm today in terms of a routine? And then even if you come up with something, sometimes you need some materials to make it successful. For example, the zones of regulation that I use with my social skills group, I have visuals for all of those zones. I have the different colors and then I take photographs of each of the kids and have them up in Velcro. So the kids can actually put their little photograph on which zone they're feeling like. So just because you have an idea of, 
with, oh, this would make a great routine. There's also some kind of follow through that's usually needed. That said, if you can get over those humps of the, the little bit of time and certainly some brain energy, it makes a huge difference in terms of decreasing the amount of um, thinking you need to do later. So it's kind of the, you know, put a little bit in now and get so much more out of it later um, because you've got something in place. It's already done. You don't have to think about it. As soon as you teach it to the kids, you're, you're good. As soon as they start getting into that routine and understanding what to do, it requires just a few prompts on your end to make things run really efficiently. One of the issues that um, certainly comes up for most SLPs as opposed to like a teacher is that a teacher might need to teach their class of 30 kids how to get materials um, and they have to teach it once and then review it multiple times because kids don't remember. But a speech path might have 20 to 30 different groups that he or she sees during the week. So she has to teach it 20 to 30 times and then review it multiple times. So that's where it definitely does get more difficult for a speech path than, uh, than a gen ed teacher. But for that same reason, that might be why it's even more important for a speech path because she or he does not have time to just be restating the rules or restating the procedure every 30 minutes throughout the school day for an entire year. So it does require some energy uh, to create in your brain, to test it out, to make materials. But again, it ends up saving you so much time. And because many of us see the same kids for year after year after year, once the kids know that routine, they remember it. Sometimes my students remember it better than I do. They'll start the whole year being like, oh, well, don't we do this now? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Shoot, I totally forgot. Um and, and they can teach the other kids sometimes as well. Let's get into some specific routines. You talked about going from the classroom to the speech room. Is there anything else that you want to add to that one before we move on? Well, let's see. For most of my kids, I, I use the, the photograph prompt. And actually what we've been doing, which has been so much fun, is I have like four or five of them that I print out. I try to print out enough for everyone in the group, although it doesn't sometimes work. And we put them on a lanyard. And so when the kid comes to me, you know, they see the little speech sign and they come to me. The first thing I do is I hand them their little lanyard and they put it around their neck. And then after I have my little group, let's say I have four kids in that group, we start walking down the hall and I ask the lower, lower level, like kindergarten, first grade, second grade. I'm like, tell me something you see and tell me something that you wonder. And then they tell it to me. And as the kids are older and more independent, I have them pair up and I say, okay, find a partner. Cause again, it's usually three or four kids walking down the hall with me and they have to tell something they see or something that they wonder to the partner. And then as soon as I can kind of see everyone's done that, I'm like switch and they have to find a different partner. And this whole time we're still walking down the hall. So we're talking and walking at the same time. And I got a compliment from my new principal this year about that. And she was like, gosh, you just seem to make use of every single minute of your time. I, whenever I see you in the hall with those kids, you are always doing some speech related task. And that was uh, 
kind of made my day when she said that because she noticed that I was really trying to be effective with my time. Yes, very good. So for some kids that have a totally different goal, um, I might use the picture as we're walking down the hall as a story starter. And we might kind of take turns adding on to the story as we walk down the hall. And then when we get to the speech room, we finish the story. And then I might have one or two of them try to retell the story, especially if they have a retelling goal. And I'm trying to measure how much they can actually remember of the story that we created. So that's something else that I sometimes will do with those photographs as well. Anything else? I mean, I know there's the obvious thing like, you know, you're working maybe with colors. There was a little boy in kindergarten one time. He, oh, he had the hardest time with, you know, learning colors. And we would, you know, see colors as we were walking down the hallway and or with older kids, maybe things find things that are horizontal and things that are vertical or, you know, things that exemplify whatever words that you want the children to to know the meaning of and to you um, to learn learn and to use. So that's very obvious, but I have never done the lanyard with the photo or the picture. And I love that idea. Anything else along that line? Well, it depends on whether or not it's a group or an individual. If I'm walking down the hall with just one individual, then I will often tailor what we're doing to meet that kid's specific goals. Um, So if let's say I just happen for some reason to have an articulation group of one, which never happens, but let's pretend. Um, So we would go down the hall and try to find things that have their target sound within it. um, And at the word or the phrase or the sentence level as we're walking down the hall. So I can be much more specific towards their goals when it's a smaller group, when it's a bigger group and they have very, very different goals. Then I do try to stick with something like the photograph because it's really easy for me to manage and the kids know the routine. They know, oh, when I get this, this is what I'm going to need to do. Okay, good point. Let's move on to routines to start the therapy session without instructions and prompts and that kind of thing. Right. So this is an area that I have uh, really developed when it comes to my social skills students. Like I said before, we check in with our zones um, and decide what energy level we are. And then we start talking about those right away. And again, I don't even have to remember that the kids know right away they're put their picture up. And if someone in the group forgets to put their picture up, they will remind them. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that's what we're doing, because they are so on top of that part of the routine. Um, With other groups, I might do something like um, take the photograph that we've just been walking down the hall with and have them create a story about it, especially for those groups that have a lot of kids working on, you know, story creation or beginning, middle end sequencing or story retell. Um, I've done things where they have to describe something in the room, like the the first thing that the group has to do is talk about um, what it looks like, feels like, category it's in, and kind of go through a whole descriptor list so that they practice their describing skills. And then something I haven't done yet, but I'm really interested in in trying to do this year is doing like a, a guessing bag where the kids can put their hands in um, and they can feel for something, but they can't look at it. And that 
that's really hard because kids like to cheat and they like to look at things. But um, based on what they can feel, have everyone in the group ask a question, kind of like a 20 questions um, activity, and then um, reveal what the surprise item was. Um, there are, I don't own them yet, but I will own them soon. There are websites like on Etsy and on Amazon that sell these miniature objects and they're just absolutely adorable. And they are like a miniature hamburger or miniature, whatever you name it. They they've got a miniature and they're like maybe two inches big and you can, for like 20 bucks, you can get 50 of these things. And there are a number of speech pathologists out there who are starting to use those in therapy for articulation or for language or for describing. And I was just thinking, gosh, that would be the perfect thing to put in one of these guessing bags. And then you could change it every single day because you've got so many of them and use those for a beginning of the instruction time routine. And because they change all the time, the kids know the routine, but they don't know what's coming. So it adds that sense of anticipation and I wonder what it's going to be this time um, so that it's something to look forward to. Okay. You have a list here. Uh, it says place a photo on the table, begin talking about it, ask a social question to begin a group discussion. You have your guessing bag, determine your energy level and so on. So that those are ways that you begin your therapy, correct? Right. So those are different, different routines that um, can be pretty easily used for the beginning of therapy time that can focus, that can be really general or can be quite focused depending on the goals of the students in that group. Mm -hmm. See, I like that because there is this suggestion that, oh, you have to bring the child in and establish rapport. Well, let's just jump in. <laughs> okay. Cause we've only got, let's face it, maybe 25 minutes, maybe a best. I mean, you know, we put, yeah, at best 25 minutes, especially if you're going to get the kids. Right. And then you have to wrap up that group, get them going. And then you have to figure out what you, you know, clean up after that and then plan for your next group and then get down there and get them. So, I mean, you know, your time is, is pretty limited. So I love the idea of having the routine and you jump into it when, you know, even before you get to the, the therapy room. Right. And if it's something, if it's a routine that you can use for most of your groups, then, um, that it's already there and ready for you. So for example, if you're using the photograph, um, you can use the same photograph for every single one of your groups, regardless of their level, um, and just adapt it depending on the needs of the kids. Or if you've got a miniature object that they're going to be guessing again, it doesn't matter the level of the students for the the material, you just adapt how you're teaching it or, or what you're doing about it, um, depending on what those students need. Now, you have down here too, and I'm just kind of looking over some notes, that you have behavioral expectations. And I'm thinking that probably reflects back when we were talking about the group and the expectations and if they get their points and that kind of thing. Would you review that yeah. so that I can write those down? Yeah. So... At the beginning of um, my sessions, especially with the groups that I know I'm going to probably encounter some behavioral issues, um, we go through and I have three big posters on the wall and they are the school rules, which is a pretty common one for most schools. It's to be safe, be respectful and be responsible. But in addition um, to those school rules, I have um, 
printed out and this is big. So if the kid can read, then they can read this. It's quite big um, saying how to be safe in the speech room and how to be respectful in the speech room and how to be responsible in the speech room. And if the kids can't read, then I will usually highlight one or two of those areas. And then I'll say, okay, what do we need to do today? We need to be, and then I wait for them to say safe. And then I point towards the big safe poster and then respectful and responsible. And those big posters, actually, I, I vary them from year to year. So this year, um, the big posters were of brains uh, because we were really working on growth mindset in the, in the whole school, like it was a school-wide um, theme. So I had these three brains. One brain kind of looked like it was being safe, one respectful and one responsible. And then um, so the kids would be like, oh, the brain's being safe in that one. Um, so that's just the, the expert. And then if I know one person is in particular going to have issues with something like um, keeping their chair on the floor as opposed to, you know, weaning backwards all the time, then I'll be like, and remember being safe means, you know, and they'll be like, oh, all four legs of the chair on the floor or whatever it is. And then sometimes I'll even, if they're, if they have good rapport, but one kid is off and a little off, I'll, off, I'll say, okay, now Johnny, you make sure to remind Susie that she's got to keep her, you know, chair legs on the floor so you guys can get that dollar at the end. So um, just real quick, like 30 to 60 seconds trying to review what are the rules and expectations in the speech room. Because again, these kids usually only come once or twice a week. And although I would like to hope they're always going to remember the expectations, the reality is that they don't always remember. Right, exactly. Sort of bouncing off of that word respectful. I know when I was working with my groups, I used that word respectful in conjunction with communication so that we kind of had a rule. And that rule is, I want you to listen when somebody else is talking. One person talks. And when that person is talking, you turn and you look at that person and you are respectful and you give to your best ability, you are listening and giving that person your attention. And sometimes our kids just think, well, it's not my turn to talk. So I can turn and look at something else, or I can tap on the, the table or I can blah, 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 blah. So that respectful also dovetails, I would think, with a lot of our communication things that we want our kids to do. Have you addressed respectful in some ways like that? Well, you know, the poster I use for respectful, I have arrows pointing to the eyes saying, look at the speaker and arrows pointing to the ears saying, listen to each other. Um, so I do address it in that way. But usually for a lot of the kids, because respectful is a really big word, and I think it kind of goes over a lot of their heads, is I say we need to be kind. Respectful means that you got to be kind. So that means that you're going to make kind choices towards your peers. Um, and then in my social skills groups, some of the kids there do have goals about facing the speaker because so many of them are turned off to the side. And, you know, and I'm like, you don't have to look them straight in the eyes. I get that. But your body needs to be towards the speaker. And so I'll tell them ahead of of our little mini conversation, I'll say, I'm going to be taking data on 
how often you are looking at the person that's talking. And I have a little alarm set on my watch that buzzes so they don't know when it's going off. But every 30 seconds, my little alarm will buzz. And then I'll jot down if they were looking at the person that was talking or not. And then at the end of that, I go through and I'm like, wow, you know, six out of seven times you were looking at the person that was talking. You met your goal. Give yourself a pat on the back. Um, And so they're aware of it. And one kid ended up doing so well on that particular facing the speaker that he, he totally met his goal. And I changed him to a new goal at his IEP. And, um, but he couldn't let it go. He was like, how'd I do on facing the speaker? How'd I do? And I'm like, um, honey, I'm actually not even taking data on that anymore. <laughs> Cause you've just done such a great job. <laughs> Yeah, it's become a part of him. You know, and I love that too, in that the kids that are the recipient that are that are doing the talking and that are the recipient of somebody that's focusing on them. Sometimes I would ask those children, how do you feel when somebody is respectful to you and is interested, or at least they're turning towards you and they look like they're interested in what you're saying? How does that make you feel? Because we all have a sense if somebody isn't looking at me and they're not listening appropriately, then, you know, you just don't want to say anything to that person. So that kind of closes that loop. Yeah, we definitely talk about that a lot. Good. And these are just communication aspects that go with communication. It's not vocabulary and grammar and morphology. It's not that, but it certainly is that important communication piece. Now, to kind of wrap up, what do you do at the end of your therapy sessions? Do you have some routines you'd like to share with us? Well, so one routine that I already talked about was the speech money, where um, I give them the money and we talk about how much they got, depending on how the group did. And then hopefully we have time to count up our speech money, because in the past, I've always done when the whole group gets $75, we have an ice cream party and the kids love that. Um, I am rethinking whether or not I want to continue that for this next year or not. But I have been doing this for 15 years and it's worked well so far. So maybe I shouldn't mess with a good thing. Um, the, The problem with the ice cream party is that I have to remember to buy the ice cream. And that's not part of my normal routine at the grocery store. And so sometimes Mrs. Chin forgets and has to tell all the kids, I forgot to buy the ice cream. Uh, But the. I know. The other routine that kind of I I go in and out of depending on the year. So this last year, I had a lot of changes in staff. And so I wasn't able to be good about this routine. But usually um, I have a really good homework routine down right before we do the speech money where I have the homework pages all printed out and ready to go. And then the kids need to just put their name and the date on it. And then I quickly will ask them, what did you work on today? And I'll write it down. That way they can kind of summarize what they did in speech um, before they take it home. Now, again, like I said before, the population of the students I work with, they usually don't practice this at home. Uh, Families that are working two or three jobs, single moms, a lot of families that don't even speak English. So um, there's a lot of barriers in the way. But uh, I feel like it's really important for them to know that I do want them to follow up in some way. And I know some of them are practicing, even if they're not filling out the homework and getting their parent to sign it, just because it's it's in their head and they're like, oh, yeah. And then the other thing with the homework is I always keep track of when I assigned it because I want later if any parent were to be like, well, how come you never sent anything home? I'd be like, you know, I really did. And I have data for all the times that I sent it home. So I just try to, you know, 
keep my, my data organized in that way. Well, I have one last question for you, but is there anything else that you would like to share with us that maybe you forgot to say or that you really wanted to include before we move into this last question? Well, I'll tell you one thing that I've been struggling with for a routine, um, and that is I have tried for several years to make part of my beginning of the therapy session routine for kids to um, figure, tell me like what their goal was, like their their speech goal um, and be accountable for it. So I've made so many visuals and I've made little targets and I've, and I've done everything, but so far all my efforts have re ended up in this taking at least five minutes of our time. And then the kids still don't understand what the goal is because IEP goals are often not written in very kid friendly language. Um, so that's a routine that I still struggle with. And I still feel like it's a really important thing to establish. But as of this point, I don't yet have a great routine for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, when you figure it out, let us know, because <laughs> a lot of us have struggled with that. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Here is the last question. Okay. And this one doesn't have anything to do with routines. If you want to, you know, reflect back and make it part of a routine, that's fine, but it doesn't have to. And here is the question. What is the best therapy moment you have ever had? Okay. I had a great one this year. It was one of those that I was like, I can retire now because it is not going to get better than this. Um, I have a, a little girl that I've been working with for about three years. And when she came to me, um, well, she, she is nonverbal. She has a trach. She has a nurse with her at all times um, because she is very complex communicate. Well, I'm sorry, complex medical needs, but also complex communication needs. And um, when she came to us in kindergarten, she she was, um, she had tried out some app on the iPad, but she didn't own anything herself. And she would communicate pretty effectively with facial expressions and with kind of her, a few signs, but you could never get beyond those, you know, facial expressions and a few signs. So it took us a year, but we ended up getting her a, um, a high tech device and then took another year for us to, you know, like be able to work on combining words together. So she's owned this device for about a year and a half when this story happens. And this was during this year and she's in my social skills group and um, we're going through the, what zone are you in and why? So they know this is part of their routine is they have to say, I'm in the green zone because blah, 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 or I'm in the yellow zone because blah, blah, blah. So her goal is to, combine three words, you know, that it, I was so excited when I made this goal. I'm like, wow, if she can combine three words consistently by the end of the year, you know, she's making really good progress. So this little girl, we go around the table saying I'm in what zone and why, and it comes to her turn. And mind you, she's the only one in this group who is an augmented communicator that everyone else in this group is a verbal communicator, most of them with autism. And um, she says with no prompts at all, she gets this whole sentence ready and she pushes on her device, the, the speak sentence. And it says, I am green because my life is awesome. Ah. <sighs> Bless your heart. So, oh, so not wow. only 
did she, you know, triple her goal of three words um, and did it completely independently with no prompts. I mean, she knew that the, well, the prompt was I am green because, but nobody helped her find any words. But, you know, this is a little girl who has a, a trach and is, you know, doesn't eat and doesn't walk and has to have a nurse with her. Oh, bless your heart. Oh, when I made this goal for her to have three word utterances, within a few months of me making that goal was producing this very long, complex sentence about her, her life, a life that most other people wouldn't envy at all about how her life is awesome. I took pictures. I took a little video of it. I just like, was like, I can, I can retire now because I know I've done at least one good thing. Yeah. Oh, that's a huggable moment too. Oh yeah. Bless her heart. Well, good. I love that. I will always remember that. Oh, well, Cherie, this has been terrific. I just, you know, I hear your energy and your, you know, you have taken time to figure out some really important things. You're doing therapy very deliberately and you've come up with some great ideas and I really appreciate you sharing them with us. Oh, no problem. It was my pleasure to be here with you. Okay, sounds good. I'm going to have to have you back. Would you mind doing another podcast? Because I have a feeling you have a lot of good ideas in you. Oh, sure. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvochart.com and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then... Thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well and God bless.